Hi, everyone, and uh, we're so wonderful that you can join us online today, live, especially if you're joining us for the first time. If you love to get connected to our church, please contact us on our website. We'll love to get connected with you. Uh, today, we are starting a new series in the book of Acts. And if you're someone who is perhaps checking out Christianity or church for the first time, then this book is a great book for you. Because the book of Acts really gets to the heart of what Christianity is. It will show you what Christianity is all about. It will show you the essence of what a Christian is. And if you're part of our church family, or if you identify yourself as a Christian, this is also a great series for you to also be reminded about what Christianity is all about and get to the essence of what a Christian is. So the question is, what do you think Christianity is all about? What makes a Christian a Christian? What do you think is the most distinguishing feature of a Christian? A lot of people will probably say, at the worst, Christianity is narrow-minded and guilt-producing. At the best, Christianity is good people promoting good morals. And that is probably the common public perception of Christianity. And they may truly be real cases of what some churches or pockets of Christianity have become, but that is certainly not what Christianity was after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. After that, he commissioned his disciples to go spread the gospel because the original essence of Christianity was not good people promoting good morals. Christianity wasn't, at its best, a little bit of inspiration. Christianity was and continues to be a revolution. Christianity was and continues to be a awakening that has changed the world. And that means if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus lived, He died, He rose again and ascended into heaven with all authority from earth and in heaven given to him, you should not expect a little inspiration. You should expect a revolution. You should expect a transformation. You should expect a movement of God that changes the world. Because that is actually what we see as the essence of Christianity in the book of Acts. When the risen Christ sent the Holy Spirit to every believer... It was at that point that the church was aflame. To not promote good morals, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power to save. The book of Acts records the acts of the Holy Spirit in the gospel mission of God's people, which has become an extraordinary Christian movement that breaks through all kinds of barriers to change billions of people from almost every nation. That is the essence of Christianity. The Luke, the author of Acts, introduces us the real heart of Christianity in the first chapter of the book, which I've broken down into three sections. If you're taking notes today for today's talk, the section of Acts in chapter 1 are this. Commissioned, received, verses 1 to 8. Christ ascended, verses 9 to 11 and committed to prayer, verses 12 to 14. 
Luke introduces to us the real heart of Christianity as we see the disciples receive their commission, Christ ascending into heaven, and then the disciples commit themselves to prayer. So firstly, the commission received. The book of Acts is actually a letter written by Luke to Theophilus, and he starts the letter by referring to his former book, which he also wrote to Theophilus which was an account of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, and his ascension. The book is the Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts is part two, which is Luke's account of what happened next. What Luke is saying is that Jesus' power and works doesn't stop when Jesus goes back to heaven. Jesus continues to powerfully be at work through the gift of the Holy Spirit through the disciples, back then and to us today. The traditional title of the books of Acts has been the Acts of the Apostles. I think a better title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because Christ powerfully acts, continues, not at the end of His ascension, and then the disciples are left to themselves to build the church. No, Christ powerfully continues to act in the building of His church through the sending of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 1 gives us an account of what happened between Christ's resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus' resurrection, we read in verse 3 that He appeared to His disciples for 40 days to teach them about two things, the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God. It was really important for the disciples to understand both the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God will teach the disciples the nature of the kingdom of God. The power of the Spirit of God shapes the nature of the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus really labored to teach His disciples over those 40 days. From Luke's summary of verses 4 to 8, we can get an idea of the key concepts that Jesus taught His disciples, which is the kingdom of God in the power of the Spirit of God will be gradual, spiritual, and international. The kingdom of God in the power of the Spirit of God will be gradual, spiritual, and international. Disciples really had to get their heads around this. Because we read in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Disciples, when they were asking that question, were probably thinking, okay, when we receive the Holy Spirit, is that the time that you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Is that the time that you will lead us to have liberation from the rule and oppression of the Roman Empire, as well as the other nations? See, the disciples' expectation of the kingdom of God would be immediate, political, and national. They expected Jesus' rule will come with political, military power to soon restore the nation of Israel. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 7, 
It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus says, only the Father knows when the complete restoration of the kingdom of God will be, implying that it's not going to happen straight away. The kingdom of God is going to be gradual because Jesus goes on to teach that the power to win people over to the kingdom of God is spiritual. And the scope of the kingdom of God is not national, but it's international. Not just for Israel, but it's for the whole world. Jesus says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. The power in God's kingdom is different. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is spread by witnesses, not soldiers, through a declaration of God's peace, not a declaration of war. By the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, political deals, or militant violence. People will be won into the kingdom of God spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people's minds, hearts, and values from the inside out. And the kingdom of God is international. Jesus is going to say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God is not confined to a fixed geopolitical area. The witness of the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit will start in Jerusalem, then spread to Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the world. Our sermon series will be divided into these parts, first to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And we see at the end of the book of Acts, Paul taking the gospel to Rome. The disciples expected the kingdom of God would be immediate, political, and national. But Jesus commissions his disciples to be witnesses to grow the kingdom of God gradually, spiritually, and internationally. Which is why Jesus wanted his disciples to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. Because no way could they take on that commission, take on that task, without the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is not an inspiring speech by Jesus. This was a calling to start an international revolution. That is the power and the mission of Christianity. We are spirit-filled, spirit-empowered to be witnesses of Jesus. And during the week, as Matthew and I were designing and packaging the sermon series, we had to call Jen just to double-check on the correct use of the word witness. It's always good to check your grammar with a school teacher. And she reminded us that the word witness can be used as a verb, action, or as a noun, a name or identity. So here, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, it's a noun. It's an identity. It's a calling and commission to an identity the identity of witness. It's who we are as disciples of Jesus. It's at the core of who we are, and that primarily defines us, and it drives our life. I know what the world will tell us to be and do. The world will tell us to be ourselves and do what we want, to eat, drink, and be merry as you please. In other words, study hard, get a good job, Find love, start a new family, travel the world, 
retire somewhere warm. But if Jesus is truly the Son of God, is Jesus truly defeated sin, Satan and death on the cross, if Jesus truly rose again to life, and if Jesus truly ascended into heaven, who has the authority over the earth and the heaven, then being a witness to the risen and ascended Jesus is a lot more significant. It's a lot more important. It's a lot more purposeful than just being myself and living for myself. And that means whether you are a CEO of an ASX top 100 company, whether you're a doctor or an artist, or whether you're a barista, or whether you're a stay-at-home parent, our call as disciples is to serve as witnesses of Jesus. With every word that we speak, with every work that we deliver, every relationship we enjoy, we are to point people to Jesus, point people to the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus graciously gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us on our identity as witnesses of Jesus. We have everything that we need. In fact, we have more than what we need to be witnesses. We have the Spirit of God in us. So how do we live out this calling? It starts with giving up your small ambition and repenting of your low expectations. That's where it's going to start. It is giving up your small ambitions because our work and life is more than just work and life. These are arenas for witnessing Jesus. And it's repenting of our low expectation because the third person of the Holy Trinity lives in us. It's not even that God is by our side. It's that God is in us and His power is worked through and through us. And that is the grand revolutionary commission and power that God wants us to be. So let's give up our small ambition and repent of our low expectations. And let's be Jesus' witnesses with the power of the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God, Christ ascended into heaven. Then we read in verse 10, disciples were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And what the angel says next, I actually find it really hilarious. Because as I studied this passage this week, I found it to be the most interesting detail about this passage. I actually find the angels to be very Australian. This is what they say. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have him go into heaven. See, look, I find the angels to be really Aussie because the mental picture I have is an Aussie tradie telling his apprentice, hey, Charlie, stop daydreaming and get back to your job. See, this is the contrast to what Jesus commission his disciples to do, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And here they are gazing up into the sky, into the heavens. The angels are telling disciples to not be stargazers. The angels reassure the disciples that Jesus will come back again personally, visibly and gloriously, 
and gazing up into the sky won't bring him back. So get back to your job. Jesus wanted his disciples to be preoccupied with earth and not the sky. The calling was to be witnesses to the ends of the earth and not stargazers. The vision that the disciples were to cultivate was not an upward nostalgia to the heavens that received Jesus, but an outward compassion to the world that is lost, which needs Jesus. It's the same for us. Curiosity about the heavenly realm, speculation about prophecy and fulfillment, fixation on the times and seasons of our time, all those things can distract us from our Christ-given mission. The disciples, well, look, they encountered the supernatural. They met an angel, and they had a supernatural word that was given to them, which I've interpreted in Aussie tongues, and in the Fair Dickham translation is, Charlie, stop daydreaming, get back to your job. Christ's word for us today in this Bible passage is, don't worry so much about the times and seasons. Only God the Father knows. But you have the Holy Spirit always. So in all times, in all seasons, go be my witnesses. Pre-COVID, COVID curve, post-COVID, the Spirit will always be with you. So go and be my witnesses always, through all times and through all seasons. We were discussing in, uh, in my community group that our isolation is stirring a yearning to be with each other in fellowship. And we were talking about that this yearning is really rooted more deeply in our yearning for Jesus to come, for the completion of the kingdom to come, where we can be face-to-face -face with Jesus and we can be face-to-face -face with each other, where there will be no sickness, where there will be no death. But that yearning for the kingdom to come drives us to mission here and now because the kingdom of God is open to everyone. The kingdom of God is open to all nations for those who will receive Jesus. So the yearning is real and right, but it energizes us to witness Christ. It enlarges our compassion for the lost and it emboldens us to speak the good news of Jesus Christ. After Jesus ascends into heaven, the apostles return to Jerusalem and they gather together in a room. And I think it's like one of those pivotal moments when a team regroups to prepare themselves on a big and mighty mission, like ones you see in the movies. It's like when all the Avengers reunite at the headquarters and together they discuss, plan and strategize on how to save the world. See, the apostles are having that moment. So what do they do? What do they say? What is their plan? What is their strategy to save the world with the gospel? We read what they did in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What did they do? They prayed. They were called to be Jesus' witnesses, to grow the kingdom of God gradually, spiritually, and internationally. That is a huge mission 
to save the world. So the only right thing to do is to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come, to help them, to empower them on this mighty mission. And there were two characteristics about their prayer. Their prayer was united, together with one mind, and their prayer was constant. Luke is affirming that everyone present was committed to the unifying belief that Jesus is the Savior, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and empowers us to be witnesses. And their constant prayer showed that the group relied on asking God to guide their actions. It was because of the disciples' unity in the faith and their devotion to pray that the Lord began to work through them to build His church. Just as the early church desperately needed to be unified, so too that the church today is in desperate need to be unified. And that is spiritual uni. United together, being on the same page with our spiritual maturity. To be united together in surrendering our lives to be Christ's witnesses. To be powerful witnesses, that is what we need to work on. And to be powerful witnesses... We also need to work on prayer. Prayer is a powerful declaration of our dependence on Him. So how is our church going to work on these things? Well, firstly, we're going to be organizing a weekly Zoom prayer gathering. But it's not only that time that we want to be praying. We want to be praying constantly, praying in our families, praying alone in our Bible devotions, praying in our community groups. We want to be constantly in prayer. And secondly, we're going to work hard to make our live Sunday service better and better to reach more and more people. Thirdly, our community groups, they're doing really well at the moment. And so we want to encourage more people to find their way into a community group, to be united in spiritually growing and maturing. Thirdly, Alpha Online, the evangelistic course, is all set up now. And we have the flexibility to run Alpha Online when anyone is interested in doing the course. But I'm still going to announce a set date and time where we will run the course so you can invite your friends to check and try out Alpha. And fourthly, I'm really praying for God's guidance on how we might be mobilized to do one-to-one discipleship and evangelism. We have this one opportunity where we can, in ways, gather on a one-to-one basis. I'm thinking of ways on how we can have some space in the church where people can do one-to-one meetups, have some couches set up. Think of ways how we can exercise together, go and walk together, do runs together, and through that freedom to disciple, to reach out to our non-believing friends, to be witnesses in that way. I ask that, would you join in me in praying and how our church can creatively think through, ask for God's guidance to find these opportunities. And there's going to be a whole host of other opportunities. And it starts with us in prayer. It's when the church is spiritually unified together in obedience to Jesus. And when we are unified in being dependent on Jesus in prayer, that is when the power of the gospel the acts of the Holy Spirit will be displayed to the world so that Christ would be known, so that we would be an effective witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you join in me in praying for these things?
Our Father God, we thank you that your Son lived, died, rose, and is ascended in heaven with all authority on earth and heaven given to him. May we worship our mighty Jesus by giving up our small ambitions and repenting of our low expectations so that we would be powerful witnesses. Help us to truly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. May your Spirit prompt us, empower us to point people to Jesus with the words that we speak and in all relationships that we enjoy. We ask that you would unite us in our spiritual calling to be your witnesses. And may we be on our knees in prayer to guide us in your mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.